White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 621. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, and we are back. Andy, are you there? I am here, sir. How are you doing today? Hey, very, very good. This is Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my partner, Andy Fix, and we are here to talk about Babylon 5. And Andy, we have a couple of interesting episodes tonight because we are getting into the meat of season three, the great, great season three. Yeah. I And, and I liked both of these better than I remember liking them the first time around. So mm, That's interesting. It's always fun to see how you rate episodes that are not like the really big ones or the really not so good ones. It's the middle ones, I think, that are interesting when we get into them. Right. Because obviously there are some that we're going to be over the moon for, over Epsilon 3-4, and there's some that we're like, yeah, you know. But uh, but these are kind of there in the middle a little bit, so I'm curious to see. So um, I sl- let me see if we have any news this week before we get going. And as always, remember, we do not do commercials. You don't have to listen to any ads other than us saying, go and become a patron. Go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, and click on the button to become a patron. Or you can um, you can just go to patreon.com and look for White Rocket, and that's, uh, that's us. So, um, trying to think. I don't know that there's any particular Babylon 5 news this week of any note. I don't think JMS has issued any proclamations. We're still just kind of in a holding pattern on the new show. Right. His Twitter has been pretty quiet, and I know the Babylon 5 Facebook group, nothing spectacular has popped up there. So, no, I, I have not heard of anything. So. Yeah. And well, it, it'll probably be like that for a while until uh, ne- next uh, year rolls around and they start talking about the, the pilot again. Yeah, you're right. This is true. So in the meantime, we have a couple of cool episodes to review tonight. And man, we're coming up on some absolutely John Sheridan dropping a nuclear bomb on your Black Star type episodes pretty soon. But we're this. I feel like the first one we're going to talk about tonight, Voices of Authority, to me, this is the one that really kind of, it's not the beginning of the big stuff, but it's kind of the preview, the prologue of the big stuff. You know, it's... Yep. I, yeah, it, it, this one deals with surprisingly a lot of stuff. I mean, they do it in kind of a lighthearted way. Yeah. But um, I don't want to say lighthearted, but there's a lot more comedy to this one than I, than I remembered. Mm. So, yeah, mm. it, it, it seems a little bit lighter than it actually is. There's some heavy stuff going on in the first episode. Yeah, and yet... I'm going to say at the end, it seems like it's less than the sum of its parts. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that when we get to it. For now, let's say what it is. It is 305 Voices of Authority. 
And and by the way, here's just a little factoid before I, that I didn't even put it in my notes. That's the name of the track on Babylon 5 CD Collection 2 by Christopher Frankie called Messages from Earth. And the track called Voices of Authority is the one that goes on to be the fifth season theme song with a little tweaking with some extra drums and military stuff going on. But it's that same kind of, you know, uh, it's the same tune, which I will do you all a favor and not try to hum right now. But you know what I mean when I say the fifth season theme. It's called Voices of right. Authority. Um, do you want to kick off or defer to the second half? No, yeah, I can kick off. I'm, I'm good with that. All right. Ha- have at it. All right. So in this episode, a Ministry of Peace political officer is assigned to Babylon 5. And uh, Delenn and Draw suggest contacting the first ones to oh, recruit yeah. them to help fight the shadows. Yeah. And we get more of the Night Watch. They've kind of been lurking, no pun intended for Babylon 5. Um, They've been lurking in the background and only popping up occasionally. I thought it was interesting what, in this episode, what happens with... um, Again, these are things that are coming to me now just talking to you that I hadn't even gotten in my notes, but I want to say them before I forget, because I will forget. I thought it was interesting that we start out fairly early on with Sheridan kind of dressing down that Night Watch security guard for being a little too... SS, a little too SA on the on the shopkeeper. And then later on, that's the guy that Julie Masante ends up... I mean, um, no, that's the guy that uh, Bester ends up asking in the other episode, I think it is. Am I getting the two confused? You are, because the shopkeeper okay. was in the, the second, the next Dust episode, to dust? The one with Bester, yeah. All right, all right. All right. Well, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to forget. I'm going to say it now. Yeah, he he dresses him down for being too much of a of a Nazi, and then later on, Bester asks him what's going on, and the guy's like, "Well, I don't know, sir." And I'm thinking of all the people on the station that they could have sent out there to fool Bester into thinking nothing's going on. That guy's going to be sincere when he kisses up to Bester. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I think that, that was intentional, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really good, and I know I was going to forget that, so I'm glad I just want to throw it out there. Okay, back to our actual order. This is episode uh, 305. It was production number 304 because they there is enough special effects in this episode that it took longer, so they switched it in Gethsemane around. Uh, it originally aired January 29th, 1996, so we're into 1996 now, the third calendar year of... Uh, of the series itself. Written, of course, by JMS. I'm going to be saying that a lot for a while. Directed by Menachem Benitsky, and I'm not familiar with him. I'm not either. I don't I don't recognize that name at all. I don't think he's done one before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Menachem Benitsky, not really familiar with him, but I thought he did a really good job with this one. I thought it was fine. Uh, notable guest stars, really just two. John Shook returns as Drawl, and I love when he plays Drawl because he really does kind of chew the scenery. He's yes. I'm. I don't know if I'm giving him an Ari Benzane award, but I'm like he's got he's got it. He's picked it up and looked at it. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 he, he hadn't taken it home yet. On on his IMDb page, it's nominated for <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and then Sherry Shattuck as Julie Masante. I've never seen her in anything else, which surprised me because I think she's pretty good here. She she did a good job. Um, she's been in a lot of minor parts in a lot of movies and TV. She's like the 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 girl that that's on those the uh, police procedural TV shows that 
you know, has like two scenes or something like that. Yeah. They thought she was the bad guy, and then it turns out to be somebody else. So yeah, she she pops up, and she's still active. I checked out her IMDb page, and she's still active, still doing stuff. Doesn't oh, wow. look quite as as quite quite the same now as she did back then. Well, but, sure, none yeah. of us do, but um, <laughs> exactly. yeah, but no, I thought she was very effective. And the thing that really impressed me about her performance was that she could be very sweet and ingratiating, and then turn right around and be just tough as nails and and hard and cold and right right at and, the flip uh, of a switch yeah. yeah i mean you know if if you're john sheridan there a, basically a single man now widowed and somebody that looks and sounds like her is standing there in front of you you know you got to be a strong man and then right. and then 5 minutes later you're like thank goodness i didn't, <laughs> didn't get involved with her you know what i mean Thank goodness I said no, no, no. And her little grumpy attitude after he turned her down was just classic. Yeah, I just love that. that I just yeah, love that. That was funny. Uh, she actually reminds me of, of a former boss I had, so that was kind of scary in a way, but she does a very <laughs> good job. And I thought JMS gave her some really good dialogue, too. Kind of, He gave her a combination of things, including stuff that, like, Goebbels said in, in Nazi Germany, I think. He actually lifted some stuff right. verbatim. Oh, it was so chilling what she yeah. was saying because it's it's back again. I mean, if you listen to the news today, sure. they're doing stuff like, I mean, yeah. uh, oh, oh, it, oh yeah, and, it was chilling. And just the way she's so dismissive with things like, well, and sure, there may be, we may have to take away some of your, what we would call basic freedoms for now, but it's just temporary. And like, oh gosh, here we go. Right. Here yeah. we go. Anyway. All right. She was so casual, so casual about the gaslighting. I mean, she yeah. didn't even call her out on it, and she goes, "Yeah, well, yes, yeah, lie, <laughs> but you know, you gotta do what you gotta do." Yeah, do yeah, it's no big deal, Johnny. Oh boy. Well, do you have any random factoids we haven't already covered? You know, the only one that I dug up was uh, Jeff Conway constantly complained about the fit of his jacket. I thought that must be the case. He thought that it, it made his because it sort of frumped out at the, the front. It made him give it gave him like a dad bod. It gave him like a little belly, mm. and it got to the point where he he pulled a, a Bruce Boxleitner into the, the the thing, and it was actually distracting Boxleitner in a couple episodes when he was giving lines. You know, he would glance down at his belly or something like that. They'd have to you know cut the take and and, and redo it again. <laughs> and oh, so God. finally, somebody's one of. JM, somebody brought it to JMS's attention. It's kind of a joke, that, you know, nothing serious. So JMS threw threw that into this episode, and it was kind of funny. I hope they retailored his outfit. I was, I was. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I was suspecting that. And I'll tell you this: he he, he not only complains about the fit, he says it's hot and itchy. I have right. I have not that uniform, but I have the black one that we haven't seen yet. Spoiler, spoiler: they're going to have some new uniforms coming up. Some of them. And I have that one. And when I ordered it, I got it from the people that made the, the original ones for the TV show in, 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 uh, in Los Angeles. And they asked me, do you want gabardine wool or gabardine cotton? And I'm like, well, what's the difference, really? And they said, the original ones on TV are made out of gabardine wool, but you're not going to like how it feels. We make it out of gabardine cotton. It pretty much looks the same, but it'll be more comfortable. And I'll tell you, the one that I have made out of gabardine cotton is not that comfortable, so I can only imagine what a wool one must feel like. You know, it'd probably be a lot softer, honestly, but it's right. probably not as hot. So, um, yeah, I can testify to Zach saying that these costumes are are not the most comfortable things ever. 
And this is not the the only time that a a line will be tossed into a, an episode of a Babylon Five show, yeah. commenting on the uniforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. I have a few things here, including a couple things from JMS. Um, it was interesting that Zach gets a lot to do beginning this episode, and I think we do see more of him kind of the rest of this season. And it felt like JMS is finally figuring out what to do with him, how to use him. Yep. You know, because we know with people like uh, Keffer that he would introduce a character he thought he knew what he was going to do with, and then he would decide he didn't like it, and it just didn't really go anywhere. So I think it's interesting that both um, both Zach and uh, Marcus, the new characters, really the new full time characters, are getting interesting things to do. And honestly, up to this point, Zach's had more interesting things to do than Marcus has. Right, yeah, and part of that is because Jeff Conway and I, I picked this up from the same interview with Jeff Conway. Jeff Conway said that he was constantly pushing them to to increase his character's uh, screen presence and then getting him on on screen more often because he loved the character and he loved you know he loved being on the show. He said, you know, I would, for for the you know whole last season, I just kind of sat around and and they called me up every three or four weeks and said, hey, we need you in for a scene. And uh, every time he was on set, he was always pushing for more and more and more. And finally, JMS gave him some, and, and it worked mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I'm going to say, I don't think there was anybody that said too much Zach. I think people felt like he was a really interesting character. Because by this point, we know Garibaldi so well. It was cool to have somebody in security that was having to figure things out that we didn't already know exactly what they thought. You know, Right. And he, I mean, it, it sure, they worked together. But as we see in this episode, you know, that they weren't exactly buddy buddy all the time and and the two actors played off of each other brilliantly in this episode mm-hmm. i really yeah. enjoyed that scene that they had together yeah absolutely we i think we take it for granted they're just almost like furniture to a point cuz they're station regulars you know but right. we have to appreciate what they're doing yeah absolutely cuz they do it so effortlessly right. and and uh garibaldi is played by you know a a, a guy that wasn't even an actor yeah. before the show started and Zach is played by, you know, that taxi guy, you know, the, yeah. the, the weird guy from taxi. So, I mean, yeah, you, you don't, ex- yeah, yeah, you don't expect them to have, you know, great scenes together, but uh, these guys did. Yeah, for sure. I think so. Um, I thought it was kind of funny where Julie Masante goes off on there's no homeless li- homelessness, very little crime. Uh, it sounded a lot like Star Trek <laughs> to me. It sounded right. like. It sounded like JMS is saying a Star Trek universe would, would almost be more of a, you know, we always joke that it's the glorious socialist workers paradise, but I think it'd be more like a fascist paradise in some ways too. I don't know. And, you know, when she was describing that, that, that whole conversation with her and Sheridan seemed a lot like Earth from um, The Expanse. Yeah. The, the, the same uh, geopolitical setup and all that oh, stuff where, you know, man. yeah, we have homeless, but they're kind of, they're taking care of, you know, it, it, it was very interesting how closely those two uh, settings kind of parallel each other. And they both include Mars fighting Earth. Right. So, yeah, no kidding. It seems like a, just a given in science fiction that we'll colonize Mars and then it'll fight a revolutionary war against us. Right. Like that the, is not an uncommon theme in sci-fi. That's the <laughs> biggest trope in near future sci-fi is, is Mars declares independence. Good gosh. Um, let's see. Delenn lies, which I thought was interesting. So you have to wonder whose honor she was protecting when she just flat out lies. And you mentioned uh, Zach's uniform. Oh, and I thought it was hilarious that Julie Masante threw the jacket doesn't fit right thing back at him, <laughs> right. too. So, 
Um, I thought it was interesting this episode that b- both Zach and Jakar suspect something is going on that they don't know about. Yeah. It's like if you're close to that group long enough, like Zach and Jakar both are, you start to catch on that something is up. You just can't not, you know. Right, and that's very realistic. I mean, you know, all the conspiracy theories that are out there today depend on the this, you know, uh, uh, unbelievable amount of secrecy that just doesn't work. So yeah. it's it's interesting to, to see that they're playing it realistically. Like even the most top secret conspiracy stuff gets out and people figure stuff out. Oh yeah, absolutely. The 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 truth is out of fashion. Oh, oh <laughs> crusade, crusade. All right. Um, Morden was directly involved in the Santiago assassination. What about that? Did you think of yeah, that? Yeah, that was that was a big one. That was I mean, that was a that was a big bomb. It wasn't a shock, but it was still kind of surprising just to have it right out there on the table like that. Yeah. Yep. So, I thought it was kind of funny that w- when they were watching that how it would get staticky and then it fades to static and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, we don't know what static is anymore. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That was a thing at the beginning of uh, of um, of uh, Neuromancer that I attempted to read last week, where he talks about <laughs> how the sky is the color of a dead monitor or whatever. And he and the and the author in the introduction said that you know he didn't realize that wouldn't static wouldn't be a thing anymore. Right. But he said readers just seem to assume that means whatever they want it to mean, you know. And so it. Yep. I thought it's one that of the was most really brilliant cool. opening lines in sci-fi. Yeah, really cool how they did that. And you, um, you loved that book, right? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> um, didn't make any sense out of it at all. I tried so hard. <laughs> um, let's see. Ah, Susan goes into the great machine with a mind that is not a normal human mind. So it was interesting how she kind of blindsided drawl with the whole, you know, being a telepath thing. Right. And um, and she has freckles. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. We saw her we up got, close and personal. Yeah, we got the extreme close-up. And I'm like, oh, freckles. I have, a, I have such a thing for freckles. So. <laughs> uh, let's see. I did feel like the eyes of the shadows that saw her reminded me a lot of the eye of Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Dude, I was about to say that. That whole scene. Yeah. It was very. It was like the the when when Aragorn was it Aragorn. No, when Pippin looked in the Palantir. Yeah, yeah, that that whole scene, and, and you know that JMS is a huge Lord oh, of the yeah. Rings fan, so it was it was definitely an homage to to that scene because I mean it wasn't an accident that you know that that final scene was just the big eye staring back at her. Right. Well, there's rangers, and if you go to Khazad Doom, yeah. right, you will fall into a chasm and die. Yeah, um, I thought that I thought that was cool. That was chasm. it was. It, it, hmm. it was the scene from the Lord of the Rings movie, like ten years before the Lord of the Rings movie. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's see. There is some bad blood between the Vorlons and at least some of the first ones. Interesting. Stow that away for later. I think. Right. Uh, that whole scene was great. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, let's see. And then lastly, from me. The Ministry of Peace is planning to purge a number of high-level officials from the Earth government on charges of sedition, immoral conduct, and espionage. And it's basing and it's investigating people on their past associations. This all sounds very familiar in a number of ways. This sounds like both Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. Uh-huh, and, and others, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
This is something I was very excited to ask you about. JMS said somebody asked him, you should use Claudia Christian more, told him you should. And JMS replied, you're absolutely correct, which is why the first episode in this batch, we send her off in the White Star, et cetera, et cetera. I was going to say to you, Andy, it feels like after we complained 30 years after the fact or whatever, JMS retroactively listened to us and he's using Ivanova more <laughs> and Garibaldi more. Indeed. Yeah, I mean. And I, I thought it was interesting that the the relationship between her and Marcus is very one sided now, and Claudia Christensen has said she neither actor was given any direction at all about their relationship. Mm. You know, they were just given the lines, so she had no idea where their relationship was going, and neither neither did uh, um, the gentleman playing Marcus. So I thought I thought that was kind of cool. I'm not sure JMS did yet at this point, honestly. <laughs> that could very well be. I think he but, wanted uh, to see how the chemistry played out, and it, and I think yeah. I think it did. They oh, still, absolutely. they still to me seem odd together, but they are fun to listen to together. So it, it right, works. she just she gets so aggravated at him, and he yeah. just pokes the bear constantly. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm glad that they're getting used a little bit more because we went through a long stretch there. We 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 praised them both, especially Claudia, in the first season, especially right. She was the MVP of the first season. We decided to you know to a degree, right. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, to every degree. Yeah. And then then she kind of disappeared there for a while. But I'm glad that yep. she's kind of back now. Um, there's just, And then the last thing, there's just this long thing that JMS said where he basically said, uh, where people were saying that they didn't think people would believe uh, Julie Masante. They were calling her the Night Witch of the Night Watch, which I thought was kind of funny in a way. Yeah. And... They were saying that she's not subtle, and so nobody would believe her, and people would see her for what she was. And JMS says, I find it interesting because we always think we're smarter than that when history proves exactly the opposite. The big lie, spoken not just openly but loudly, firmly, and with conviction, has been one of the most successful tactics in history. When Hitler and Goebbels stood before a crowd and blamed Jews for destroying society, circulated pamphlets with ugly caricatures, indicated they weren't really human... When Joseph McCarthy stood up in front of the nation waving a list of names of commies in the State Department, the military, Congress, showbiz, the sciences, the public didn't suddenly wake up, hear the voice of the fanatic, and say, hey, this guy's nuts. They bought it because they were primed to believe it, because they wanted to believe it, because they were afraid not to believe it. No, she wasn't subtle because there's a time for subtlety and there's a time to perform grandly for your hand-picked audience and go for the big lie. If she were addressing a larger audience, she might soft-pedal the message. But to the Night Watch, she's got to hammer them just as the Hitler youth were hammered, as the anti-communist youth meetings were hammered about the Red Peril, as Croatian or Serbian soldiers were hammered about the need to rape women of the other race to make the resultant babies more ethnically pure, which happened. Most of her dialogue was paraphrased from actual speeches given over the decades by fanatical leaders. There's bits of Hitler, Goering, Goebbels... McCarthy, Stalin, Pat Buchanan, and Representative Dornan. That would be B-52 Bob Dornan of California. Because people fell for it, it did work, it does work, and will continue to work for as long as people think that they would never fall for such a thing. That You know, that might even work in today's 
political no 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 (laughs) nobody would believe anything like that today no 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 Andy. i take great exception Uh, to that you are completely wrong nobody somebody has to stand up for the other side you're right nobody would believe that ever so okay what you know what i did just think of a tidbit yes that i want to throw out there Let's do it. There are more and more monks walking around the background in both these episodes. Yeah, yeah, thought, awesome. Continuity. Cool. Continuity, yes. <laughs> baby. Good, good, good. All right, what was your high point of this episode? Let's get into it. My high point of this episode was the whole scene uh, uh, in the orbit of Sigma 957. I loved that scene. The ship, I, I love that ship design. It's super cool, all the different shapes, the different colors. I love the alien design. I thought that was that was neat. Uh, like the, the talking tiki head, and but yeah. the, the, the best the the best part was uh, Ivanova. I, I thought she was awesome in that scene. I mean, just the way she handled it and and the whole nine yards. I thought it was just a great scene. It it made made the whole episode. My wife, who was watching it with me um, during that scene, actually busted out laughing a couple times with with what Ivanova how Ivanova handled it. So and and she gets you know she. She gets Ivanova, so for as little as she's watched the show, I, I bring my wife up a lot, but she really hasn't watched more than two or three episodes combined throughout you know the, the three seasons I've been watching. But uh, she gets Ivanova, and she loves Ivanova. I believe you're on mute. This button is very, very temperamental. I push it, and it stops blinking, and it starts blinking again, and it's on mute. It drives me crazy. I was going to say, that's very fortunate of you. I actually tried to show my wife like just a two-second bit where... Uh, Ivanova said something very clever and she just rolled her eyes and walked away. So I, I do not have any sympathy whatsoever for Babylon 5. And tonight at dinner, she said something about, I'd rather something than actually watch that show. And I thought, oh man. So I felt really bad. But you know, I still have you, of, Andy. <laughs> I'm here for you, brother. That's right. One of, one of my wife's favorite movies is Enemy Mine. So she's used to the cheesy sci-fi. So Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I never have seen that. That's actually one of those that went under my radar. I never really got to see it. It's a good movie. Um, I have a note here. I said the high point of the episode for me at the time, it's at the time that it first aired, it felt like finding that recording of Clark admitting, you know, that he basically was behind the death of Santiago, that to me was like the big moment of the episode. But in retrospect, it's not it doesn't seem as big. It's just like when the doctor, remember when Clark's doctor was on the run? I think that was Hunter Prey. And yep. at the time, that felt like a big deal. And then it's just like one more little brick in the wall. It's not the it's yep. not the thing that breaks the case open, you know? Right. And so we, we may want to discuss this in spoiler space. Yes. Yeah. And so now I would say my high point of the episode was when Julie Masante leaves because after all <laughs> that she's been terrorizing everybody, she has to go. I wanted right. the whole crew to be out there like, da, 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 you know, waving her off. But uh, yeah, that was great. Okay, what was your low point? Low point was, uh, and this was uh, the, the emotional low point, was when Zach and Garibaldi just had their throwdown argument. Um, it was, it, it's yeah. two two characters you don't want to see at odds and at each other's throats, and they were seriously. At odds and at each other's throats in that scene. That, that was kind of tough to watch because uh, you're kind of rooting for both those guys. And and you hate to see Zach going down, you know, the, the, the Night Watch road yeah. and, and falling in with the wrong crowd because you know he's a good guy. And you just keep 
tell your, you know, you want to tell, shout at the TV screen, hey, Zach, wake up, come on. Yeah. And he just keeps making that, that same bad decision. Well, the only hope is he seems to know he's making a decision, and he knows he's has to, he has to be careful about it. Right, right. And he keeps saying, you know, I'm just doing it for the extra money. I, I don't, I, it's just easy money. I'm not doing anything wrong. So he's not, I don't think he's bought into the ideolo- ideology. He just seems to, you know, think, hey, this isn't such a bad gig. But he's starting, he, even when he first started, he thought it was kind of a, there was some shady stuff. And, and now he's starting to think of that even more, especially, you know, with the, with the evidence that came out with um, President Clark. Yeah, and he's also the one asking the questions, which is interesting because he never presents himself as the sharpest knife in the drawer. Right. And yet right. the sharpest samurai sword in, in uh, Talon's <laughs> sheath. And yet and yet he's the one asking the questions when most of the other Nightwatch people are all just like, yes, ma'am, sure, okay, no right. problem. You know, that's, Zach that's is promising. No, Zach is nobody's fool. I mean, no. he's not... He's not dumb by any means. No, he, he just plays. He he plays up the 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 average uh, Joe everyman shtick, but he's mm-hmm. not stupid. No, no, not at all. And I got to say, by the way, there were quite a lot of high points in this episode. So there I, were a you know, lot. I, yeah. yeah, it was hard to pick. My right. my low point actually, I did think of a low 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 point, and that is that I just never have been satisfied with the design of the great machine interface. It's supposed yeah. to look like they're getting into Iron Man armor with the stuff on their arms and everything, and instead yeah. it looks like they're just standing up in front of a of a piece of plywood with some stuff glued to it because and wires because they're standing up in front of a piece of plywood with glued right. stuff glued to it and wires. So, and, you know, when Ivanova stepped in there, when when Drawl stepped out, he kind of made an, an effort to make it look like he was unsheathing mm-hmm. his arms from something. But when Ivana went in there, she just kind of put her arms back behind there, like, okay, so this these go here like this, right? Yeah, so that was that was that was a little bit on the cheesy. You you figure with something with the name like the Great Machine that it would be a little more impressive. Yeah, it. If nothing else, it needs to have something they can lay back in with their arms out, like actually resting on something. They're basically just standing there with their arms held up. There's right. nothing holding right. their arms up that we can see anyway. Yeah. So that's a little disappointing. Anyway. Do you have an Orenzento Benzane overacting award this episode? You know, I don't. I think everybody did a, a pretty good job. Now, I, I think um, you mentioned earlier that drawl kind of tiptoes along the line. Um, yeah, I, I think the uh, the political officer, a couple a couple of her yeah. uh, lines de- were delivered a little uh, hammy. But, That's true. Uh, I, I think uh, I think they were both you know stayed stayed on the good side of that line. Yeah, I think that's true. I think you're right. I, I, she, she, uh, they both kind of edge up to it. But I'm actually going to give it just because it's funny to Zog, <laughs> <laughs> the big tiki head Zog, <laughs> Zog. That, and you know what? That was actually Ardwright Chamberlain's voice. JMS, really? Yeah, JMS said that he thought it would kind of make sense to have the same person that does the Vorlon voice do another first one voice. Yeah, so that was that was him. So, interesting. Uh, what was your most Babylon 5 scene in this one? And there's quite a few to choose from again. Yeah, there's a lot to choose from. I My uh, Babylon 5 scene was when Ivanova mentions the Vorlons because that really sets off uh, Zog. Yes. Um, <laughs> That really upsets them, and then it, it gets you to thinking: if these if these guys were such staunch um, uh, enemies of the the shadows, you know, staunch mm-hmm. foes of the shadows, 
and then they also get a little upset at the Vorlons. You know, maybe the Vorlons aren't aren't so you know fantastically good after all. It was it was an, it, it it was interesting how they kind of threw that out there. Like you know, these guys. You lie, Andy. <laughs> I <laughs> to use my new Vorlon machine. All right. That's yeah, these guys, these guys were, uh, were, you know, being sought after for allies because the um, Minbari said that they were so good and powerful and, and would mm-hmm. be willing to help the, the younger races, and they don't like the Vorlons. It makes you wonder why. Because they are doo-doo heads. <laughs> this is great. I'm going to enjoy my new Vorlon machine on the soundboard. Oh, this is great. I'm sure we will also enjoy it. <laughs> We'll see what the listeners think. Listeners, patrons especially, <laughs> let us know if you like the new Kosh soundboard, uh, Kosh sound effect that I can now do whatever I want to as Kosh. Or, because... or not. I or mean, not. you got to let us know if you don't like it too. Please, <laughs> turn... please let us know. <laughs> I go through this exact same thing on our football show with, with my co-host, John. John just hates the soundboard, and I have a lot of sounds for that show. I only have two for this show, but I got a lot for that show, and... Oh, we actually made a sweatshirt last year called the it says Soundboard Fan Club. <laughs> so I know people that bought them too. All right, um, yeah, that was that was my favorite character moment. Um, I'm sorry, did I did the Babylon Five scene was um, was Susan? Yes, yeah, you're right. Susan interacting with the first one is absolutely the most Babylon Five scene. Did you do yeah. favorite character moment? I threw myself off there for a minute. Uh, no, my favorite character moment was when Garibaldi was talking to uh, Jakar. And uh, Jakar was was asking Garibaldi, like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know something's going on. And I, I know we haven't been friends. I've, we've never been considered friends before. But now I feel like, you know, we're friends. I want to know what's going on. And, and Garibaldi just kind of has to blow him off. But um, I thought that was a, kind of a powerful scene. You Even if you've never seen it before, you have to feel like this is leading up to them making a decision about Jakar. Right. But, I mean, in addition to trusting him, you also have to weigh the fact, you know, is he of use? Because it's you know, right. but I, but I think that we now have established that he has enough connections with like the underground, you know, on Narn and everything that they would they want they might want to be thinking about bringing him into the little circle. Mm-hmm. They might. Um, let's see. What was your? So that was your favorite character moment. I had. That my favorite character moment was um, basically everything with Ivanova. I thought Ivanova was the, she was the, um, what's the term that the kids use? She was the low key MVP of this episode. In yeah. other words, there's a lot of big flashy stuff going on. In, and when I say flash, I include Julie Masante in that, right? You know, right. there was, there was, there was Jakar stuff going on. There was Drawl and Delin. There, there was a lot of big flashy stuff going on. But this had the feel in a way of like an early episode where Ivanova kind of carried the episode in between, in between the flashy moments, you know? Right. You know and so that's I'm going to kind of go with her interacting with Marcus and then interacting with the first ones as like my favorite character moments. To, to use a football term, Ivanova was the left guard in a pass-happy offense. <laughs> I like it. I get that. I get that reference. Like Much like Captain America, I got that reference. <laughs> I got that reference. <laughs> I did. I got it. Um, okay, let's see. What was your funniest moment? And there were a few to choose from there, here, too. This was a surprisingly a funny episode. 
Right. And JMS mentioned that this was another episode he wrote when he was uh, had the flu and he was oh high boy. on on, uh, on uh, NyQuil or whatever. Oh boy! Uh, because this, the, he said, when he was reading it after he finished it, he he thought this one came out to be a lot jokier than he initially wanted it to be. But he left it all in because you know they were on a tight a tight schedule anyway. Um, and, it, and it worked. <laughs> it it did work. It 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 made the it, it the episode held together better because of of the the lightness of it. Um, the funniest moment. Let me see. You know what? I actually have a couple. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to throw out a couple here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when draw when <laughs> I think I've got Ivanova, five. So do what you got to do. <laughs> when Ivanova comes on on the board the the planet below and draws like I wasn't expecting you. I was expecting Sheridan, <laughs> and she starts talking and then. He goes, I like you. You're trouble. I thought yes. that was like a good that was my That was my first one, so I'll go ahead and strike that one off. Very good. Yeah, I, I she, might have a couple of years. Well, she says the whole thing leading up to that about how she loves surprises. Yeah. I don't yeah. like surprises. I love surprises. Blah, blah, blah. And I, this doesn't sound like Ivana at all. This sounds like nervous Ivana trying to cover a rear end, which is what it was. So, yeah. Uh, the second one I have, I'm sure you have that one too, so I'll leave that one for you. Uh-oh. And then... The third one I have is when uh, um, my wife actually busted out laughing. Is when uh, uh, our our buddy Zog said something to in, in response to uh, Ivanova, and she goes, "Yeah, whatever." Because <laughs> she had no idea what he said, but she was just acting like you know she was trying to blow. Oh, no. That whole scene was funny when she was trying oh, to blow him off. Every and, bit and he, of that. He said something you know very sinister sounding in response. She goes, goes "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> And uh, Connie just busted out loud laughing right at that point. I'm was, telling you, this was, this was a low-key Ivanova episode, and I would right. not have said that going in. If you'd asked me going in, I'd have said this is a Sheridan episode. Julie Masante is big in it. Jakar is big right. in it. But dang, right. Ivanova keeps coming through for us. Yeah. I mean, honestly, to this point, we are 305 episodes in right now at this minute, and I think the biggest revelation of our entire podcast to this point is how much, how important and how big Ivanova is to this show. That's been like our big discovery. And that will carry on through season five even, yeah. and, and that's something for the spoiler space as well to talk about. But yeah. even in season five, you realize how important Ivanova was. <laughs> oh. To, to you, this crew. You certainly do understand it in season five <laughs> for reasons we'll get to in the spoiler space, yes. Um, okay, I've got four left. I mean, I think we all agree that good luck, Captain. I think you're about to go where everyone has gone before. That was my other one. That was I a classic it. line. Oh, my gosh, that's so good. And I think he <laughs> knew that, too. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling that Julie Masante tends to get her way, and she knows how to get her way. She knows how to persuade people. You know what I'm saying? And right, yeah. And then because later on she says something like, you know, how could somebody just turn down such a proposition or something like that? You know, she's yeah. she's. I love that she's sulking about the fact that he kicked her out of the room. Right. Basically, I was impressed how quickly she dropped her trousers. I mean, she was. <laughs> You know, he turned around for a second and she turned back around and she was like, boing. Yeah. I was, I was, I was, a, so th- this was not the first time she's used this tactic. She had the Velcro uniform on. <laughs> like he's she, she had the, the, the stripper police, the policeman stripper uniform on. Yeah. Like the NBA off. guys that pull off the warmups, you know, in one <laughs> shot and they're ready to roll. Um, which leads to the other funny, funny line in that scene. 
where <laughs> Sheridan looks at her. I swear, Sheridan looks at her and says, "It must be colder in here than I thought." <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Oh, my goodness. I was on the floor. That's so good. Um, that whole she... scene was absolutely priceless. When oh, when, yeah. <laughs> when Ivanova's holographic form showed up behind her, just the look on her face and the look on his face, oh, my God, that was that was yep. priceless. And then he has to kiss her to, to distract her, <laughs> and which is the wor- last thing you wanted to do is give right. her any encouragement. So that was right. even worse. <laughs> All right, couple more, and the other, I think the last two involve uh, Marcus because he had a couple of good lines. He was on on point this time around. He, he, was, really he was. They said something to the effect of the first ones know Earth language. It's English, but you know whatever. It's sci-fi. They know Earth language, but refuse to use it. And he goes, "Who knew they were French?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is classic. And it's funny, too, because somebody asked JMS about that. Like, in 2260, are they really saying that? And he says, well, I feel like there are certain things that endure for centuries, and people saying things like that about the French would be one of those things. And I can't argue, right? I mean, sure. And then the other is when she says, am I supposed to put a bucket on my head? Now, he says, could I put a bucket yeah. on my head and, and, and pretend I'm the Vor- Vorlon god Boji? And yeah. she's like, that's it. And he goes, fine, I'll get a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really good. That was really good. So there were some really good lines. I can see where he take a, took his cold medicine and wrote this episode for sure. Right. All right. So I think we know where this is going, Andy. Who won the episode? Uh, Ivanova won this episode. She. You are correct. I, 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 yeah. She. She. She stole the show, and she. And she did everything important, and she did everything important last minute. I mean, she wasn't expecting to go down to the planet and and take her spot in the machine. She wasn't expecting to go. Uh, hop out in the white star and, and do a first contact with an old, you know, the, the ancient race. And she did it with a plum. I mean, I thought, I thought she, she did spectacular and she came out looking like the, the, the winner. That's right. I agree completely. So that gets us to the big question. How on a scale of 0.0 to 5.0, and we do halvesies, we do 0.5s. How do you rate uh, voices of authority. You know, like you said earlier, this is a big, a lot of big things happen this episode, but there's not a lot else going on. There's really no solid story to this one. Right. That's that said, the big moments were very well done, and I thought that the 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 humor of this show hmm. added to it. It, ma- it made it very much uh, more enjoyable. My life's, or I'm sorry, my wife's laughter. Uh, was worth half a star. So this gets three stars for me. If there you make you my wife laugh, you get a half a star added I, to the score. Well, it just made my wife run away even faster. No, actually, again, it was dust <laughs> to dust. It was the the it was the, the thing that I tried to show her that I thought was funny was when when in, in Dust to Dust, when Ivanova, when they say we can't kill him, Bester, and Ivanova <laughs> says, can we just wound him a little or something? And she just kind of rolled her eyes and kept going. I'm like, you know... I, I, what can I do? If you can't, if you don't find that fun, you're just not going to appreciate the show. Right. Um, so what I, I I agree with what you said to a, to a degree, and it's it's just it's very similar, I think, to what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, when you're watching this episode as it's going on, it feels like a very big and important episode. I mean, you got Jakar and Zach both suspecting something's going on and investigating. You have Drawl showing up. You have the first one showing up. You have the Night Watch. You have Julie Masante. I mean, there's a lot going on in this episode. Yeah. You got but when the big you, reveal about you know the, the the assassination. Yes, yes. 
But when you go back and look at it after the fact, it it feels in some ways like they kind of treaded water a little bit. It doesn't feel like it advanced the story as much as it did at the time. Right, I, and I totally agree with that. It's still a fun episode. Yes, yeah, and that's why I gave it a 3.0 as well. We're simpatico again. We, always, Very, we often are. Yeah. I, I'll tell you why. I think that this... It it you I used to think this was a low end of the wham episodes. Now I think it's high end of the medium episodes. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So I only I've only dropped it down like one notch. Right. From low high to high low to high medium. You know what I mean? So, right. Right. It's definitely right. not a wham episode. It's not one of no. those episodes that that really kicks you in the gut. That's coming. Bad. That's coming yeah. very soon. Yeah. Oh, is that coming very soon, my friend? It's coming. All right. Um, we have what is essentially a three-parter beginning with our next podcast. And then the two parts. Good Lord, Andy, we've got part one as our second one next episode. And then two of our podcast episodes from now, we've got like the, what is it, Point of No Return and Severed Dreams? Mm-hmm. That may be and a that may be a four hour episode. I'm just telling you right now. Get ready. Let, let's not forget, Van, that this is the season with Gray Seventeen is missing, which is you know. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't do stuff like that when you're drinking. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. Um, so so basically, we'll have we'll have the point of no return, severed dreams episode be four hours long, and the Gray Seventeen episode will be 25 minutes. <laughs> Not going to be even this season. It's not. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, we've got Exogenesis coming up next time. So you know. Yes. Yes, we do. So, yes. but we also have the uh, was it messages from Earth. So it right. balances out. All right. Before we get into our other episode in the second half of the show, we have to thank our patrons very quickly, and we have just a small list to run through. So it won't take but a minute. But if you want to join their ranks, and please, we need your help. We need your support. If you enjoy what Andy and I are doing here every two weeks on this show as regular as clockwork if your clock is not exactly you know wound up properly then go to www.b5review.com www.b5review.com or you can just go to patreon.com and look for white rocket and and become a patron for as little as a dollar a month so we, we accept whatever you want to a little maybe three i forget what our minimum anyway we got a minimum we got whatever i think you don't i think they won't let you do a dollar anymore patreon said like uh they grandfathered some people in that already had it but i think that with all the fees and everything you get like a penny Right. So they don't even do a dollar it, anymore. It, it should be pointed out that none of this money is is paying Van and I a salary. No, <laughs> this is all this is all for the technical end because it's very yeah. expensive to to host this stuff and, and the Lord. software and and all that stuff. It, it's it's not cheap to do this podcast and and all, all this money goes towards that. Yeah, we have a website, we have a URL, we have a uh, a, a podcast feed on Podbean, and um, yeah, so we're. Um, and all the technology I've had to buy, I've, we got you know nice microphones and stuff too. So this is all helping us to produce the best show possible. We want the show to sound as good as it can. Um, so so click on that. Here are the fine folks. Very quickly, here are the fine folks currently keeping the show alive. They include the great Allison Rich and EJ Alexander, uh, along with Leah G. Welcome back aboard, Leah. We're so glad you got squared away. And then there's Rich Hammett, his arms wide, Colonel Dad, Emmanuel Seaman, Michael O'Connor, Stu Parker, Comrade Sheridan. Welcome aboard, Comrade Sheridan. <laughs> Heather and Yancey Steingraber. 
Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head, which I appreciate as a Boba Fett fan, as Andy knows, because I got Boba Fett looking over my shoulder whenever we do this show. Yes. And yes. Michael Halbrook. And I want to say, by the way, I was just cracking on France, and Emmanuel Seaman, one of our best supporters, uh, is French. So, oh boy. <laughs> we may yeah. lose a patron it's- this week. That particular crack on France is nothing that the French people will deny. They are very proud of the, the yeah. fact that they that their language is their language and, and uh, that they don't like other other yeah. languages. I mean, Eng- English is an entirely different story. I mean, English is it takes you know everybody's language and mashes it into their own. Oh yeah, the French like the French think that, and the French language is very beautiful. So I don't blame sure. them one bit. I spent years and years studying French, and je ne parle pas de français. I can't hardly speak a word of it. Somebody um, wants. Somebody once said that listening to French is like listening to somebody speak Italian in cursive. <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that before. That's good. Uh, we have one comment uh, came across from our patrons this episode. Allison, good old Allison Rich. We love you, Allison. She says, Brother Theo's order is never given a name, but I like to think they are Jesuits in space. I like it. Jesuits in space. With all the things they studied and their specializations, they have to be Jesuits. Jesuits are not a contemplative order. They study things and they teach. And that's true. Plus, uh, they're also like the the church's Marine Corps. Plus, wasn't Sinclair educated by Jesuits? That is true. He was. She says, I grew up Catholic and they always struck me as Jesuits. Also, Brad Dorif was part of Frank's crew in Blue Velvet. I haven't seen that one. Mm-hmm. And, of course, his first role was Billy Bibbit in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I haven't seen that either, but I know all about yeah, it. Yeah, he, he was good in that one, yeah. And a role for which he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, which is very impressive. No doubt about yep. it. I love Brad Dorif. And yeah, then when, when, you, yep. when you share the screen with Jack Nicholson at his peak, yeah. That, and and you, you get an Academy own. Award nomination out of right. it. Right, right. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's good acting. Oh, he's great. Uh, and then she says, Passing Through Gethsemane is one of my favorite B5 episodes. It's very powerful, and the twist at the end is very Serling-esque. Yeah, the only Serling-esque thing it didn't have going on was Mr. Morden didn't show up. That would have, <laughs> <laughs> it could, that would have been a good one where JMS could have done a funny thing where he has Morden at the beginning like doing his picture, if you will, a monk who has a strange past, you know, and do the whole thing like that would be cool. You know, I, right. I, just, I, just, I just have to throw this out here yes, that – Rod Serling got a start in Cincinnati, Ohio. He won oh, a, a a a write-in contest. He he sent in. There was a, a local TV station was having a contest for a teleplay that they were going to produce, hmm. and Rod Serling sent uh, sent in a, a, a script for it and won. And then his career took off from there. It certainly did. Wow, I did not from, know that. Cincinnati, from right here in Cincinnati, and the house he lived in is still here. I used to Whoa. drive by it all the time. Well, you know, in WKRP, they always just say the four corners of the news world, Washington, Paris, Moscow, and Cincinnati, <laughs> or whatever the cities were in Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So 306, Dust to Dust. Uh, it's my turn to do the second half kickoff. Uh, an yep. addictive drug with telepathic effects is found on the station, prompting a visit by Bester. Jakar reaches a turning point. Um this, uh, really the only guest star of note this time was Walter Koenig again as Bester, although I think that was his wife again at the very end showing up as his, like, assistant psychor, psychop lady. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. we've seen her before Yep. when he was on, so I think he just brings his wife with him occasionally when he's on there and they <laughs> use her. This was production number 306, so we're back on the right numbering again. February 5th, 1996, written by JMS. I'm just going to put that on a, on a sound clip. Directed by David Eagle, and I believe 
we established that David Eagle is either on the Mount Rushmore of B5 directors or he is adjacent to it, I forget. But certainly he's right. done his share. I think we named him first alternate. Okay. he's Well, if he keeps popping up like this, he might edge somebody off. Right. Although, honestly, I mean, Jesus Trevino, Janet Greek, and Adam Nimoy, I mean, those are the big three that I can think of. So it might be David Eagle as number four, honestly. I, I can't remember. Right. It, I'm, it I'm, could be. Yeah. I may be forgetting somebody. All right. Oh, oh, no. The um, What's his name from Leave it to Beaver does a bunch of them. The, uh, Tony Dow. Right, 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 yeah. Tony Dow does a bunch of them, yeah. Yep. Notable guest stars, Walter Koenig as Bester, Julian Neal as Lindstrom is the other one that I forgot. All right, so I only have a hand, just a couple of random factoids and notes. What have you got? I have got a couple. Uh, okay. The Star Trek sound effect makes an appearance when Jakar is, is in his, his dream. It's the, the sound effect that they always had when they went down to the planets. Oh, yeah. You know, the, 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 kind of background. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So if you listen closely when he's talking to, I believe that, it, that that was his father that was hanging from the tree. Yeah, yes. When he's talking to his father, not not when he's talking to Jaquan later, but when he's talking to his father, you hear that playing very lightly in the background. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the writing on the, the Minbari writing on Veer's robe when he gets back from his, uh, uh, or when he, he comes off the ship. Um, somebody actually uh, decoded that because Minbari's script is out there, the font is out there, and his robe, when he turns around and it shows very prominently, his robe says, Aloha. <laughs> like he was coming back from a Hawaiian vacation. And you can see, if you look closely at the robe, there's some like some palm prints on there, like it, it's an actual Hawaiian shirt, which I thought was funny. I looked at that shirt, and I thought, A, that's pretty cool, and B, one of the things that I've always had a problem with with TV sci-fi is that the same costume designer makes everything, and it right. looks like the same person made everybody's clothes, including on other planets. Yeah. Right. So it shouldn't look anything like anything we've ever seen before, and yet there it is looking like a Hawaiian shirt. So there we go. Right. And then the uh, um, the shopkeeper that you mentioned before makes a, a snide comment to the uh, the Night Watch where he, he says, don't you have a boot meeting to go to? <laughs> That's a, a, a reference to the the German American Boot, which was a American Nazi organization before the Second World War. Kind of made it not fashionable to be a Nazi. Yeah, that was the Lindbergh mess. That whole thing. Right. Now it gives me another opportunity. I've done this on various shows to plug. Last year, I watched on HBO the Plot Against America, mm-hmm. and that is exactly what it's about. It is yep. so good. Did you ever see that? I can't remember if we talked about it. I didn't. We did talk about it. I haven't had it. Okay. It's on my, my to-watch list, on my HBO Max to-watch list. Haven't seen it yet. It's really, really, really good, yeah. Um, okay, my facts, random factoids. We learned that Psychor developed the dust drug, which was interesting. Yeah. Um, the dust vendor's two aliases, Lindstrom and Morgenstern, are the surnames of two characters from the Mary Tyler Moore show. Um, Morgan, Morgan Stern means morning star, one of the names used to refer to Lucifer. And Morgan Stern is the name of Julian's horse in Nine Princes in Amber. And you don't want anything to do with Morgan Stern. He will uh, mess you up. Yeah, that's true. Morgan Stern is a, is a tough critter. He is, yeah. Uh, JMS was asked, was told, the end music, the credit, the end credit music changed. And he says, yes, we changed it because, uh, because I forgot to have Christopher rescore it when we were redoing the main title. So basically, I guess they've been using the second season in title music. Yeah. I hadn't even noticed that. 
I hadn't either. I, I, I didn't watch the end credits. I know. I got to go back and watch now. I, I watched them the first 15 times I saw this show, so I, I haven't really watched them this time. So, yeah. Right. But apparently they changed two of the season three music with this episode. They just forgot. So, And then my question, this is the last thing I have, but this is the big question that I was left with after this episode, and I want your thoughts on this very much. Are the Narns just at the point through their own machinations and the Centauri's machinations, have they gotten themselves to the point that they have to sacrifice themselves to save everybody else? Or is Kosh manipulating them? Are the Vorlons manipulating them into doing that as puppet masters? Because I'm not sure at this point. Well, I, I don't either. That's a darn good question. Um, yeah. That... <laughs> That that's that, and that's hard to answer without. Yeah, I mean, seeing into the future a little bit, but um, we can talk about it again briefly in the spoiler space. But I just yeah. want to raise that question because honestly, from what we know right now, I'm fifty fifty on whether. I mean, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as Kosh looks at the Narns and says, "Yeah, they're done. They're a failed race. They might as well do something good on their way out of the universe." Or you can look at it as Kosh looks at them and the Vorlons look at the Narn and say, we could manipulate them into stepping in front of the bullet for us. Right. Uh, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't put it past the Vorlons at all. No. No, no, not at all. Yeah. So, all right, more in the spoiler space. All right, well, if yes, we don't forget. definitely. If we don't forget. I haven't got it written down there, so I have to remember. <laughs> uh, what was your high point of this episode, Any? My high point in this episode was uh, Jakar's interrogation of Malari. I thought that was very, you know, I've cracked on the dream sequences before. Yeah. This one was very, very well done. It was, it was just the, the entire thing. It, it reminded me of something from The Prisoner. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was really creepy and really well done. And both of them, they're such great actors that maybe as it was written, it wasn't as good as, as it came out to be. But they both made it pretty spectacular. But I thought even the, like the lighting and, and, and the, uh, just the, the weirdness of it was toned down from when, what they had done earlier uh, in prior yeah. seasons. So, yeah, I, I thought that that was the high point of this. And, and they dropped some, you know, some, really important, some really important information in that, especially with, with uh, Jakar. It's true. It's true, yeah. And Jakar learned a lot. Even before the dream sequence, he was learning stuff from... He basically knows everything Londo knew now. Yep, yep, that, exactly. I mean, honestly, in that way, this episode seemed even bigger than the previous one. Right. Oh, definitely. And that scene, because the the scenes that they were showing of Londo were kind of sympathetic towards Londo. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he didn't want to do this, and he, mm -hmm. he was, you know, he, he wasn't going along 100%. But Jakar... <laughs> saw that and got yeah. just furious like yeah. oh you're the one and i you were there at the center of it all right right and and that's something that we can address in the spoiler space too i don't yes yes i don't i think that up till and i hadn't thought about it till now but i think that up to this minute up till up until that moment jakar never respected londo enough to believe he could have been that much behind it i think that all this and we don't really know that until now because he was so surprised i think right. jakar's surprised reaction says a lot beyond just what he actually said because right. i think i think all this time now we didn't know this before but i think all this time jakar has been looking at londo and going yeah he's the devil but he's just the devil's pawn. You know what I mean? In other words, he doesn't he hadn't he probably didn't have anything to do with it. He's just out here 
as the mouthpiece. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Now, yeah. Now he looks at Londo and goes, "Holy cow! He's not the mouthpiece. He was at the middle of it all all along." And Jakar is probably thinking, "I should have murdered him the first opportunity I ever had, and I didn't know." Right. And and, and again, I think the fact that Jakar didn't kill Londo over the last several episodes shows how little Jakar thought Londo had to do with it all. Right. He he blamed but, him as a he blamed him as a Centauri, but not as the mastermind. And it shows how far Jakara has come as a character when even at the end of this episode, even after finding all that stuff out, and he had Lando at his mercy, he still didn't kill him. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Cause wasn't it the very first episode that, that they were gonna kill each other? Yeah. Remember yeah. like the very first episode they were getting ready to murder each other. Yep. And would have done it. And now, Shakar realizes he probably should <laughs> should have. I mean, he should have, you know. Of course, it would yep. have been somebody else that Morden got Morden got to. But yeah, so it's, it's right. really, yeah. There's a lot there. There's a lot to dig around in there. So um, if if he had killed Molari in that first episode, Morden might have gotten to Jakar. Yeah, yeah, because it would have changed Jakar too. Yeah. And remember, what saved Jakar was when he got all wound up to Morden, and then he's like. Ah, but you know, you know, he just kind of like, he kind of got like, he got right to that point right. and then kind of said, eh, screw it. Right. And Morden's like, dang it. And then when Londo <laughs> gets to that point, he pulls all that pride out and he's like, we need to be back to the stars and everything. And Morden's like, ah, oh, here we go. Here we go. This is what I was looking for. All right. Um, my high point of the episode was, yeah. When Kosh is there as Jakar wakes up from the interrogation, and you're like, oh, it's, it was Kosh all along. <laughs> Kosh all along. Oh, wait, here we go. It was me all along, and Agatha. Well, and he's been saying that for two seasons now. We have always been here. That's yep. just his way of, uh, that's Vorlon for it was us all along. <laughs> <laughs> I See, think I you're right. You, you almost did it again. I got to quit drinking. <laughs> yeah, I had a big dinner just a while ago, and I'm very thirsty, but uh, I'm drinking. <laughs> I'm pounding down my drinks here. But uh, yeah, no, you're uh, absolutely right. That's good. I also had a note that um, this is the episode and the moment where Jakar has to face and accept the idea that it may be too late for the Narn, but they can accomplish something great for the forces of light and life before they go, which is what I was alluding to a minute ago when we were talking about. Up until that very moment, it seems that Jakar has found enough evidence to absolutely murder Londo, but then he realizes he should invest his energy in a different way. That was my takeaway. So I agree. Yep. It, yeah. So what was your low point? My low point was Bester wins. Bester yeah. got exactly <laughs> what he wanted. And he, you, you know, up until now, Bester has always been bested by yes. the crew of, of the station. This is true. Uh, he he was actually coming, you know, starting to look like almost a, a, a buffoon when you know going up against them. That he was always getting, you know, getting taken advantage of. And this time he took advantage of the crew. This is true. <laughs> yeah, and and you know JMS commented on that. Did you see what JMS said about it? I did not. Okay, you then that means you absolutely nailed something important. Because somebody asked JMS, you know, Bester, Bester kind of wins this time and gets away with stuff. And JMS says, if I kept having him lose, we wouldn't take him seriously anymore. Ah, see, he great needed, minds think alike. He needed, a, yes, absolutely. He needed a win to stay relevant. 
and yep, to stay I dangerous. Agree. And I like that that happened even though he took the sleepers and didn't have his telepathic powers. He doesn't right. need his telepathic powers to be an evil so-and-so. Right. Or in his world, a great heroic so-and-so. Yeah, exactly. He, he thinks he's the good guy. The best he, villains do think that they're he, the good guys. He sleeps the sleep of the just. Yep. That's what he told Garibaldi, right? I did enjoy, by the way, I don't think I have it on here, but I do want to mention, I enjoyed the back and forth with Garibaldi and Bester. Because they usually just get a couple of snipes in and out, but this time they actually had to spend some time together. So we got extended Garibaldi and and, and, uh, and yeah, and the, the whole piñata thing was, was pretty funny. <laughs> I, I, yeah, so I bring you, joy to children. I'm glad you think Filled with me. candy and toys. Yeah, that's that was actually my funniest moment. Was the was he when he <laughs> okay. says that he was the piñata that is filled with t- toys and candy to make children happy. Um, I, I wanted Garibaldi to say no. It's something I want to beat with a stick repeatedly <laughs> until it busts open. But he didn't say that. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, my low point were two things. One was, I've said it before, Andy, I'm going to say it again and again. I think the thing that JMS writes the worst, and he writes great. He writes, I love his writing, okay, or we wouldn't love the show so much. But the thing he writes the worst are thugs and criminals. And once again, these guys just, and they, they're, we see them over and over on Babylon 5, right? He loves to have thugs and criminals show up and be up to something. And we see it on Crusade. Right. And they're always so stereotypical and so predictable, and they always just sound exactly the same. Yeah. Now, I, I will give the, the, the head drug dealer that was dealing with Jakar wasn't terrible. No, but no. But when, when, they, when they got down below to, ma- to make the, the big drug deal, yeah, those guys were yeah straight out of an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah, they were those guys. Yes, exactly, yeah. 100%. But my other low point was they got Londo's hair wrong in the flashback to 2257. <laughs> I, w- I did not pick up that. That's an impressive, an impressive tidbit. He had his crisp little Napoleon hat haircut, but right. in 2257 he had the freaking yeah, you're right. Centauri fro, you know. You're right. So they should have fixed that. That was disappointing. Um, but they they did change the jacket. He was back yes. in purple because, as we all know, in purple, I'm stunning. <laughs> You've been waiting to use that line. <laughs> love it. I love it. I actually had t- – I told you before. I had T-shirts made up and printed for Dragon Con 20, 23 years ago that had Londo's picture going like that, and it said, but in purple, I'm stunning. I had a whole sure, box of those made. I'm sure there is somebody out there somewhere that still wears that oh, T-shirt. Man, I hadn't thought about it in so long. I don't even think I even got one. We sold them all That's to people. Awesome. That was at the, That was what we. That was what we sold at the Babylon Five LARP at Dragon Con, the yeah. live action role play. Yeah, oh, it was so good. Which is on YouTube, by the way. I'm not going to link it or anything because it's embarrassing. But if somebody wants to go find it, you can find it. Every time you mention that, I tell myself I'm going to track this down and watch it, and then I forget. Thank goodness that you forgot. That's good. <laughs> Keep forgetting. Um, let's see. The Oren Zento, Ari Benzane. Over, you know what's so funny? I've never said this before, but I'm having fun tonight, so I'll say it. I've never actually typed our edition of Ari Benzane to my template. <laughs> it still says the Oren Zento Overacting Award. And every time I see it, my brain just inserts Ari Benzane because that was the impression he made in that one episode. Absolutely. That that was how, how just overwrought he was. It was incredible. 
that uh, he had that kind of an impact on us. You know, that to this day, his overacting is still making us cringe. It's legend. Legend. Oh, my gosh. I, I almost want to go back and rewatch that episode <laughs> just to watch that. I love that episode. I told you at the time. <laughs> Eyes. Eyes is an episode I have watched more than almost any other episode. I love that episode. It has everything. <laughs> it has Sinclair outsmarting the freaking Earth Force, and I love it. I'm there for yeah. it. And, it, and it it's is, got it is a good episode. And it's got the single greatest acting performance in Babylon <laughs> Five history in it. So of course I love it. I love it. All right. So um, do you have one for this one? I don't. I mean, I thought the bad guys were a little. Cliche, but that was their their worst offense. Was it that they were a cliche? So that's it. I, yeah, you can you can they blame JMS. <laughs> yeah, you can blame JMS for that if you want to instead of them. But yeah, that's who I had. So yeah. Yeah. All right. What was your most Babylon Five scene? Most Babylon Five scene was uh, Jaquan's speech to Jakar in the mm. dream sequence, um, especially that that line when he says, "I have always been here." Then and then you hear the the flapping, and then he turns around, and there's there's. <sighs> A Vorlon flying away. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it was it was Kosh, but yeah, I thought that was and, and you know that your question earlier had had me thinking about that. But when he gave that, when Jaquan was giving him that speech, he sounded awfully darn sincere about about what he was saying. And mm-hmm. I don't know if because uh, you know that was Kosh saying that to him. Mm-hmm. And was that Kosh being sincere about that or? Because he seemed, man, that that was a very well. I don't know who that actor was. I, I should have looked it up, but he, man, he delivered those lines. I mean, he was very convincing. I I I thought that was a really powerful scene right there when he gave that line. Oh yeah, I'm surprised now that you say that. I'm surprised that I don't know. I'm surprised it didn't come up when I do my, I you know I, I go and look on the Lurker's Guide and I also go through right. the credits of the show as I'm watching it. Yeah, and I'm surprised so, I didn't. Uh, I didn't find that. Yeah, out. that was my um, Jim Norton. Okay. Yeah. I don't Interesting. Know. Anyway, yeah, I thought that was a really powerful scene. I thought that was really well done. Uh, my most Babylon Five scene was yeah was uh, when Jakar is seeing what Londo has done, and it was you all. You were there at the center of it all, no doubt. That was yeah. really really powerful. What was your favorite character moment? This one. Uh, favorite character moment was when Ivanova was trying to kill Bester. Uh, that was. You know, they, they kind of blow that off, and they don't really bring it up again. But holy crap, she was a split second away from murder. She gave you the know? order. She did give the order, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's not like she changed her mind at the last no. second. It was somebody jumped in and, and, and belayed that order. Yes. The order that she gave. I mean, she yeah, she she had it in her mind that Bester was going to die. And, you know, you saw the back and forth there, you know, the, the external dialogue or the internal dialogue, just the, the thoughts that she as she was talking to herself, trying to decide what to do. And sure enough, yeah, she's like, well, you know what? I'm going to kill this guy right here, right now. And she tried to. She was yeah. reasoning out with herself. Why, too? Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And and Sheridan didn't say anything after that. I mean, you no. know, this was your, your first officer attempted murder. Attempting to to kill yeah. somebody. And he's I, I th- like, yeah. I think if it had been last season, he'd have you know, he'd have he'd have gone off. Right. And I think that he may have still had a private meeting with her later that we didn't see. Right, right. But I think at this point he understands why she did it and respects it to a degree and wasn't gonna give her a lot of crap about it. Right. But yeah, I thought that was a really uh, um, important character moment for Ivanova. That was 
it was shocking to me. I compl- it was it was so downplayed or just brushed under the carpet. I completely forgot about it. I yeah. completely forgot that she she gave that order right there at that point. I was like, holy crap! So yeah, that was that was a big moment. No, absolutely. Um, let's see. So, which one was that? Was that favorite character moment or most battle? That was favorite character favorite moment. moment. Yep. I'm sorry. Uh, Londo revises Veer's report on the Minbari. That <laughs> yeah. is such a classic scene, and it's yep. funny because I had watched it. Like a few months ago, I think, well, before we started our show, so a little bit longer than that ago, but I had actually, for some reason, watched part of this episode and seen that scene. And so at the beginning, when Lon, when Vinvir was just mentioning some things about Minbar, I was like, that sounds like that report he gives, but Londo didn't say anything. So I thought, well, maybe I must be thinking about something else. And then when that scene came up, I'm like, oh, there it is. There's, I mean, I just love how, you know, they're, I love how he changed everything else. And then when Veer says they're very spiritual people, he's like, no, leave that in. It scares people. Right. <laughs> that was great. That was a brilliant uh, editing session. Yes, that, that, that was. Just Londo just riffed that right off the Well, obviously right. JMS wrote it, but in, in story, right. J, Londo just rips right off the top of his head. Yeah. It's like it shows how steeped he is in that kind of stuff right. and how – naturally it comes to him to say things like that, which yeah. I thought was really, Their really funny. Their cities are thousands of years old. That's a true sign of a stagnant economy. La- lack of new construction <laughs> is the clearest sign of a stagnant economy. Oh, my gosh. No doubt. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I just love how he came up with a different way of saying every single thing in there. Right. I just wanted to sit down with him and just throw lines at him and see what he came back with, you know? <laughs> Yeah. That would have been fun. They like they have really good boats. Oh, lack of surface transportation is a clear sign of backward thinking or something. You know, just either just no, anyway. Um, also, I, I I liked the moment at the end when Jakar comes back to Garibaldi. Um, well, when he's when Michael tries to hand the book of Jaquan over to Jakar, no, you can keep it for a while. Besides, I am now somewhat closer to the source. Right. I'm like, that's a good little throwaway line, but it's also got a lot of profound meaning to it. Mm-hmm. It's about as deep as you want to make it, really. Right. Yeah. All right. What was your funniest moment? Uh, for funniest moment, I have when uh, they're discussing how to deal with Bester coming on board and, and Ivanova suggests killing him. Or no, it was Garibaldi suggests killing him and everybody kind of... Uh, uh, Dr. Franklin and uh, Delenn kind of said, no, we can't just kill him. And Ivanova stood up and said, can we just wound him really badly? <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, th- yeah, that was the scene I showed my wife. I was so disappointed she didn't think that was funny. I thought that was hilarious. That was great. Yeah. I had the pinata, the pinata yes. conversation. But yes, those are that, both that was- absolutely great. Those are both absolutely yeah. great. Uh, all right. Who won this episode? And this is a tough one, I think. I, I thought it was pretty straightforward. Alfred Bester, or Alfred Bester, uh, Bester. Well, he is name. Alfred Bester, right? That's his name. Is, is that his first name, Alfred? I think so. Okay. I knew, Al, I knew, I knew he was Al. named after Alfred Bester. No, I think he's Al. Player. They call him Al Bester. So, yeah, I think he's Alfred okay. Bester for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Bester won this one hands down. I mean, he he manipulated everything to where, you know, beforehand where he caused the problem, and then he manipulated everything there so that they got away with it. Um, I will accept that. I would also posit that in a way, in a way, Jakar won this episode. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. 
So we had kind of two tracks running parallel, and I think they were the people that kind of came out ahead in yeah. each one. Although Bester won in the sort of the short term, but they were successful at stymieing him from getting any information on the Babylon Five crew, and that was good. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. The, the dang them. The, the dang. Oh, hello, kitty. The sorry. <laughs> <laughs> fur butt. Um, <laughs> the. Um, the dang Minbari telepaths were spooky as crap looking when, when Bester first they walked were. in. They were. You know, that, that, uh, the one that was seen right behind um, Sheridan, Sheridan was yes. truly alien looking. I thought that was, was cool. That was freaky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there was one that was kind of cute. Right. right. <laughs> but there was the other one. The dude was like, man, yeah. he looked like something out of the yeah. Martian Chronicles or something. Yeah. Yeah, he was intimidating for sure. And Bester's like, the crap is going on here. <laughs> you know, and I don't blame him. I was like on Bester's side at that moment. But yeah. All right, and here is everybody's favorite moment, other than the Ari Benzane uh, uh, overacting award. What is your rating for Dust to Dust? I I want to hear what you gave yours first. All right, you got it. You got it. All right. I looked at this one top to bottom, left to right, and it's never been one of my favorites. I can appreciate parts of it, but again, I feel like this is more a top end of the middle than upper echelon so it's another 3.0 you know i gave it a 3.5 um i thought uh jakar's scene was just phenomenal i thought it was very well done it was very portentous for for uh things coming in the future and any anything with bester is worth an extra 0.5 because bester's and and he was on you know, on on top of his game, this one. I mean, the the lines, the the interaction between him and Garibaldi were were funny. Um, I thought this was was really. I, I this was the one that I enjoyed a lot more than I thought I would. It, it was, yeah. it it made a bigger impression on me than than I remember. So yeah, it was uh, it, three point five. When I look at the title of this one and remember, oh, it's the dust episode. I usually go ah, right. But then I watch it and I'm like, oh yeah, this one's got yeah. a lot cool going on. So it's definitely right. it's always better than I think it's going to be. That's there's no doubt. In fact, I think that now that we've had this conversation, if I ever watch it again, and I probably will in a, you know a couple of years, I'll be like, oh, that's the one that's better than I always think it is, right? So that'll yeah. change. Um, so yeah, I totally respect that. I'm I'm gonna leave it at a three, but I I can totally swear it, see where it's it's come up in the world a little bit. I think that's what's interesting is I think that the previous one we just talked about actually has come down for me a little bit, and this one's gone up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. going going in last week, I was like, "Oh, that first one's going to be great. The second one's okay." But yeah, I think it's kind of the other way around almost, which is interesting. Right, agreed. Yeah, interesting. All right, well there we go. On our next installment, Andy and I will cover three hundred seven Exogenesis, uh, also known as it seems more like a Stargate episode in some ways than <laughs> or Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine or something, and um, and then a little episode we like to call Messages from Earth. That's a big one. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby, baby. Yes. All right. So at that point, we'll quickly hit the... Jump gate activated. <laughs> it scratched the record on the way through the jump gate. <laughs> All right. So we are in spoiler space. That is your warning. Eject, eject now if you don't want to hear spoilers. Now, there were things we were going to talk about in spoiler space, and I have no idea what they were. Uh, one that I want to talk about was Jakar's sacrifice. Yes, yes. They mentioned Jakar's sacrifice, and and I thought that was kind of cool that you know where Jakar ends up sacrificing himself and 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 Londo at the same time. Yeah. There towards the end, I thought that was uh that was kind of neat how they worked all that out. I thought that was that was really cool. Yeah, it's it, all. I- it seems like 
from everything that is said about the Narns kind of having to sacrifice themselves as a people, right. it's, it seems like they should have ended up doing more in the Shadow War than they did. I know they served as security. They replaced the Night Watch. Right. But other than that, and I mean, they contributed, you know, they didn't have that many ships. Honestly, the Centauri blew them all up, so they didn't have a lot to contribute to the to the Army of Light, or I guess the Navy. They never call it the Navy of Light, but I'm going to I'm going to coin a new term here: the Navy of Light. Um, the Armada of Light. It was the Armada of Light. You're correct. Uh, other than that, I don't remember the Narn. Am I forgetting something important? The Narns did that kind of no. Sacrificed? As a whole, I don't I don't think the Narns really contributed much to the, the fight, other than Jakar. Yeah, yeah, and I those mean, security they, guys that. Took right, it on the yeah. chin when the when the freaking Earth Force ships attacked at the beginning of uh, Severed right. Dreams. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah, I, I don't I don't feel like they did everything. It was kind of uh, prophesied that they would do. So, right. Well, which well, is good for them. And and a lot of the stuff that showed up in that first episode didn't really pan out much. I mean, like Draw. You know, you you keep thinking that Draw is going to be a big deal in in the big fight at the end, and he really wasn't. He's a dud. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He doesn't do much. He he lets them talk. To, he lets the ships talk to each other at the battle, which is right. important. But it's not right. quite the yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything else. No, no. Um, let me see. There was. Let me look real quick. There was one other thing that we talked about, but I don't think I'm going to be able to find it. Um, um. Oh well. But I had a I had a thing I actually did put in here, which is. Um, this I thought this was interesting, Eddie. JMS said, he said, quote, I said from the start that each season would have standalone episodes and arc stories. <clears throat> About 20% in year one would be arc, 35% in year two, 50% in year three, 70% in year four, and 100% in year five. And I'm reading that and going, well, that didn't pan out. No. No, yeah, season four was the 100%. Yeah, season four was 100%, yeah. boom. Oh, that's Se- another thing we want to talk about. Susan's was, impact. Well, was, was season five zero, <laughs> or was right. there a couple in there that maybe kind of? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah, see, um, Susan's impact in season five was, was felt and not seen. That was it. That was it, yes. Yeah. She was she was the MVP like like uh, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is the MVP of the Green Bay Packers when he's out for the season. <laughs> You yeah, realize how important he was to the Green Bay Packers because how bad they are mm-hmm. without him at the helm. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, she, her abs. I mean, the we'll we'll talk about this obviously in great detail when we get to it. But one of the things about season five is that not only do we lose the characters that were supposed to be gone by then, right? You also lose people like Ivanova that didn't have to be gone, but were also gone for whatever reason, right? And so season five, just it was just hampered by personnel losses, character losses, you know. So, yeah. well, we'll get to that obviously, but um, I, I would say that it's more like season one was twenty twenty five percent, season two was more like forty percent, season three maybe fifty fifty five something like that yeah. by the time it's over, and obviously a hundred percent season four. Yeah, and 110%. then, yeah, yeah, and then season five maybe depends on how you define arc. I think. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that's it. Do you have any final thoughts about these two or about what's coming up? 
Uh, I don't. I, well, other than the fact that these two were both better than I thought that that they uh, than I remember them being. I, I I enjoyed them more than I thought I would going into it. Let us see how we enjoy Exogenesis because, honest to goodness, I haven't watched this one since the last time I watched the entire show all the way through, and that was some time ago. Right. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Exogenesis because I remember it as being not the best. So Just it'll be interesting I, to see going into it and looking at how we look at it if we do pick up any anything that we may have missed before. And often we do. Yeah, in almost every case, mm-hmm. we have. So, yeah. I just remember a big parasite bug thing, kind of like Deep Space Nine. That's all I remember. Yeah. <laughs> very, very uh, Stargate. Very Stargate yes. Atlantis, Stargate Universe type of thing, which is not an insult yeah. at all. That's a good thing. I love, I love those. All right, and then, of course, we've got the banger, the first yes. of the trilogy, the, the no point of no return trilogy, which will be a lot yep. of fun. Yep. They're coming for us next. Well, Andy, they're coming for us next. We better get out of here before Nightwatch right. shows up. So I will see you <laughs> later, my friend, and we will uh, find out what we think about those two. And don't forget, we've got our trip coming up to Chicago for Windy City Comic Con, uh, Windy City Pulp Con yep. next month. So if you guys out there are listening in the Chicago area, if you go to Windy City Pulp Con in May, uh, you can you can stop by and hang out with Andy and me. Absolutely, that would be a blast. That would be a blast. And I'm bringing the B5 cards, man. Yep. Oh, we could set up our own little tournament. We could. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. All right, I will let you go, sir. Have a good evening. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take care, Van. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.